Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Carrie Johnson. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by Vice President and Research Director David Trogue to discuss Forrester's 2021 predictions for customer experience. Welcome, David. Thanks, Jen. Glad to be here. So let's talk about 2020 a little bit before we dive into 2021. Um, I think it was kind of surprising that a number of brands actually improved their customer experience. So can you just share a little bit about, you know, some of the data that we that we have that supports that statement? Sure. Well, you know, every year we look at uh, CX quality for a bunch of different brands and some go up, some go down, some stay flat. And what was interesting this year is that uh, more improved than the previous year. In fact, uh, 27% of brands went up. And what was interesting about it is, um, you know, we also look at the reasons why. So we do some analysis, interview companies that went up. And what we found this year is that the pattern was that the way they went up was um, not through kind of tactical find and fix measures, but actually by investing in the fundamental competencies of CX and actually getting good systemically at things like doing customer research, doing effective experience design, doing good prioritization and measurement, et cetera. So it's really the blocking and tackling, uh, the stuff that maybe does not seem glamorous on the surface, but makes all the difference in, in fact, improving quality and nudging them up. And so what do you think is going to be happening for 2021 then? 27% seems like a pretty big chunk of brands that improve their CX. Is that going to continue the next year? How does that play out? Yeah, well, you know, one of the interesting things about uh, companies that do this is that it's an investment that pays off over the long haul, right? Because it's a little bit like building muscle. It's uh, as opposed to just doing a bunch of, you know, kind of point interventions, you're developing a competency. So that's going to be with you and keep pushing you up. So we think we're going to continue seeing uh, those brands improve because of the investments they've made and similar momentum with other brands that are that are going to follow suit. I'm thrilled that companies have been investing. What about those that haven't and changing customer expectations in 2020 and then 2021? I'm reminded of uh, the uh, old proverb um, that um, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Uh, but the second best time is today. Uh, so it would have been good to invest in building those CX competencies last year or the year before. Uh, it doesn't mean it's too late. On the other hand, companies that have, in fact, failed to do it so far are going to be at a disadvantage because it's not the kind of thing you just, you know, flip a switch and turn on overnight. It takes time to build these up, some of them more than others. Um, but that does mean that some of those brands are going to be at a disadvantage. And I think especially now in a time of crisis uh, where budgets are being slashed and resources are fewer, um, it's going to be especially tough because companies are more reluctant to invest. And yet this is the time when it really, really does matter. Are there specific levers or competencies that have a greater impact here or are they all created equal? You know, what is, where would one sort of look to invest first? They all have uh, relevance to different aspects of customer experience, but it seems to me uh, right now, especially in light of the pandemic, there's a real need to rethink uh, many of the experiences that companies have been delivering 
in ways that respond to the changing expectations and just daily context of consumers in their lives, um, the changes that we've all been experiencing. And there are, I would say, two competencies primarily that stand out to me as being especially relevant there. And they are first research, as in customer research or user research or experience research, actually doing the work to understand where people are at because where they're at now is pretty different from where they were at a year ago in a lot of ways. And you need to understand that to be able to, uh, to respond appropriately. And then of course, how do you respond? Uh, well, the way you respond is by designing experiences that are actually uh, effective in light of your findings about what their needs and motivations and expectations are and how those have changed. And one of the things um, that we predict for next year is that there's going to be a much greater need for trust and that consumers are really going to gravitate to brands uh, that, uh, that inspire trust, that do what it takes and say what it takes to inspire trust. Why? Because uh, all of us, and, and by the way, I mean this especially in the realm of in-person experiences, which have been transformed or in some cases kind of eliminated for many of us in terms of our interactions with businesses, um, in-person interactions have become primarily digital. But for a lot of things, we want in-person interactions and we will gravitate back to them eventually as the pandemic gradually dwindles. And in some cases, people are gravitating to them anyway in the middle of the pandemic. But you know, how are they doing it? They're doing it in a context of essentially at least concern, if not fear, um, for their health, right? Because we've all become much more aware of uh, how contagion works, how hygiene works, things we don't really want to think about and never did much before, but now that are really top of mind, right? When you go to a restaurant or to a store or maybe even to a concert <laughs> or a sports event, right? Those are kind of rare. So when are people going to start going, getting back into those contexts? Um, I don't know exactly, but when they do more, they're really going to want to be able to do it with brands that they uh, trust to be able to, to be taking the appropriate measures to protect uh, people, whether that's, uh, you know, scheduling appointments for things that used to just be walk-in, using ticketing mechanisms, or just real simple, you know, like the plexiglass that we've seen go up everywhere, uh, which maybe makes you feel a little safer. Uh, uh, you know, sanitizer for your hands, all these things that the, that we've become used to, um, but that some brands are doing better than others. Going back to your point, as it relates to trust on really understanding your customers and knowing your customers, that feels like a moving target right now, even more so than before. What's our recommendation to customers or clients around typical customer research methods and new customer research methods to stay on top of how your customers are feeling? Well, one of the um, research methods that is much less used than it really ought to be or could be uh, is remote research. And in some ways, this is a perfect time to be doing it. And what this means is, you know, there, there are ways of doing research that involve uh, connecting with uh, customers or potential customers uh, using uh, video and or audio, uh, or at least audio and also preferably video, um, at the most basic level, just to, you know, to interview them. But there are also more sophisticated ways of doing it using, for example, what's called unmoderated user testing um, that allow you to connect with many, many different uh, customers um, and find out about what they're doing uh, in ways that uh, don't limit you to geography, right? So as opposed to 
um, inviting a bunch of people to come to a physical place and interviewing them in person, you're doing it remotely. So you can get a much more representative sample than just the people who happen to live in you know, the city where your company is based, uh, for example. That is uh, something that we observe companies doing more of now because uh, partly because they're limited to it, but also because the subject, the people they want to interview are also more available than they might've been previously. So that's a great way to approach it. It sort of strikes me, David, that you haven't brought up technology and the use of technology specifically in improving the customer experience. That might be part of the equation, but how, you know, how is that going to play out in 2021 in terms of investment in technology to help facilitate more digital or hybrid experiences moving forward? It's going to be very important. Um, there's a concept that, uh, kind of came onto the scene about five years ago that's referred to as zero UI. Um, and it's a bit of a misnomer because of course, every experience has some kind of user interface, but uh, it's a bit of a provocation. And the point of the term zero UI is that UIs are much less screen centric, um, less based on keyboard and mouse, um, and instead use modalities uh, like voice, like audio, like gesture, uh, like uh, presence and co-location, proximity. Um, so think about, um, you know, the, the simplest examples would be speaking to Siri on your iPhone or, um, you know, paying uh, at a store using uh, Apple Pay uh, without having to actually touch a pin pad. Um, so these have kind of been curiosities in recent years and Zero UI has, has sort of, you know, made some progress um, and we, we use Siri or Alexa and it sort of seems magical, but only because it works at all, right? The, the, abil the abilities of Alexa and Siri are actually not that great now when you think about what you would want to be able to ask uh, and, and hear back. Um, but now there's a real practical reason for them, which is that when you go into a business, into a public place, you don't want to touch that ATM screen. You don't want to touch those elevator buttons you don't want to touch that pin pad, right? And so suddenly Zero UI goes from what had been kind of a curiosity, sort of a sci-fi magic thing, to something that's actually practical that businesses need to invest in. Um, and that's going to, I think, drive a lot of investment in trying to create Zero UI experiences. Some will be successful. I think it's gonna turn out to be a lot harder than it seems initially. Our research raised some good points about the potential pitfalls of zero UI that I think is probably going to circle back to the importance of having a true CX practice. If you could talk about some of these, um, that would be good because I don't think all listeners would necessarily default immediately to thinking about some of the potential hazards here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think like with any new technology or relatively emerging technology, there's a lot of enthusiasm initially that sometimes leads people to forget about the first and second order consequences that can be not so great. Uh, and in particular, in the case of zero UI, there are a lot of very interesting modalities for interactions that um, are going to exclude some por portion of the customer base. Um, for example, if you think about, you know, uh, touch interfaces uh, that could be difficult for some people who have mobility impairments or voice interfaces that are difficult if, for example, you're not a native English speaker. 
um, and you try to say something and the system does not understand you. Um, or, or maybe you even don't have the use of your voice at all, uh, either, uh, you know, permanently or temporarily, right? There are also situational disabilities that we all have where we become hoarse. Or, you know, another one that I think many of us are experiencing right now that is kind of situational is um, the nice uh, touchless um, zero UI kind of experience of using Face ID for authenticating to your iPhone uh, in fact, it doesn't work so well when you're wearing a mask in a public place, right? So these are things um, uh, that are kind of the unanticipated challenges that I think companies are going to face quite a bit. Or, you know, another mundane one would be most of us have had the experience of going into a store and uh, thinking about how, you know, high tech it seemed at first to use Apple Pay for touchless payment and then being asked to uh, sign on a pin pad and then receive you know, a printed out receipt, which just seems so antiquated um, compared to what we just experienced. So it's this blend of the new and the old. So we're not there yet. Are those some of the reasons why this hasn't taken off already? Like, I feel like, you know, beacons and things of that nature have been around for a while, at least in the retail space that was, you know, I don't know, five, 10, maybe 10 years ago, that was like going to be the new thing. And it just never happened. And maybe there are some of these stumbling blocks, but is is that why, or just like wasn't a moment in time where people didn't care enough? Like what's in the way, do you think, of this being adopted in a real way? Yeah, well, I think necessity is the mother of invention, but mm -hmm. necessity also is also the mother of learning in a way. And uh, many of us have had the experience of uh, for example, you know, using tools like Zoom and WebEx and so on and becoming very fluent in them in ways that we didn't used to be. Uh, why? Because we have to use them all the time now. And so we've just gotten good at it, right? And I think the same is going to become true of some of these technologies where they appear to be novelties at first. Um, and they are merely novelties, mostly. But then we start having the need to use them as a matter of health, as a matter of survival, possibly even to get things done. And therefore it's no longer just a novelty, it's no longer just for fun, um, but it becomes uh, crucial. You know, um, very quickly Target, for example, when the pandemic began, was able to rapidly update um, its shopping, its mobile app for shopping um, to allow curbside pickup. But somehow in the equation, when they were looking at that whole customer journey, somebody did not think about uh, the uh, actual payment process and you still had to uh, physically touch, you know, a point of sale device to complete the purchase. So that was, you know, I'm, I'm not, don't want to throw them under the bus, but that's an example. They're not the only company. It's very, it's typical, right? To, to fix one part of it, thinking about a new technology, but not think about the complete customer journey and the reality of what your customers are going to have to go through when they actually um, go through that experience. That seems to make for such an interesting point in terms of some of the old methods of research as you're thinking about the customer journey, involved watching them move through physical environments and digital environments, of course. But the watching people in a physical environment piece has to be so challenging right now for a CX professional trying to understand the journey for something that customers are not currently doing or comfortable doing, but maybe. I just can't even imagine the challenges associated with that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether, for example, for Target, you know, you would think, you know, you could certainly have somebody at that curbside pickup location watching and noticing, oh, look, 
now they're having to reach out the car window and touch the, you know, the pin pad, the portable pin pad or something. I don't know exactly what it was in that circumstance. Um, but that's, yeah, that would be, it, it's more of a challenge, but certainly possible. And, and in the past, you had the ability to beta test and say, I'm going to use a couple of stores in one market and see how this goes. But the pandemic forced companies to roll out new processes and systems pretty much nationwide overnight, Yeah, which it just means there's going to be natural errors and they have to you know adapt and adjust, which is no different than any other time, just on warp speed. Yeah, exactly. And also just really... Uh, massively moving effort and funding and time towards these things that become the top priority and therefore neglecting some other things that just fall to the wayside. So does this mean that there's going to be significant investment in CX technologies in 2021 or, you know, how are you seeing that overall kind of play out? Um, I would predict that yes, there will be in part because there's such a need for rethinking these experiences. And so for every aspect of the process from, you know, discovering what people's needs are, uh, which because they're changing so much, uh, to creating new experiences, um, you know, defining and refining those experiences, to, you know, evaluating whether they work, you know, when you have a prototype for something new like this, like what I described the target created, um, how do you find out whether it works? How do you do, you know, the, the testing, uh, whether it's usability testing, accessibility testing, um, the way you've organized the navigation for an app, for example, uh, whether it's uh, uh, for a shared in-person experience um, or a remote experience. Um, and once you've deployed it, how do you monitor how it's going? And there are lots of different technologies uh, for all of those uh, things that are crucial that uh, I think are going to uh, really pick up in 2021. And across all of those phases, there's also just basic, um, what we would call operations software for design operations, for things like uh, design systems and research repositories, categories of technology that really help uh, accelerate the process and let design teams you know, work faster, leaner, and smarter. Maybe this is a, a stretch, but just curious in terms of the relation of brands that are investing in things like zero UI and the sort of consumers flocking to brands that they trust. Like, I'm assuming there's some sort of relationship there where if you're making progress and steps on some of these piece parts that are clearly in the best interest of the the customer and the consumer, there's going to be a bit of a relationship there or consumers are going to gravitate to those brands that are making these types of investments in addition to, you know, it's not in isolation, but in addition to understanding their specific needs, doing the research and doing sort of the groundwork that you had referenced before. I imagine that's a a connection that we'll see moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in fact, you know, as I was saying earlier, we predict that consumers will flock to trusted brands for those in-person experiences. And uh, what's going to make uh, the trust, right? What's mm -hmm. going to bring about that trust? It's what you do and what you say. Um, and what you do would involve, for example, some of those uh, zero UI technologies that I described. But it also involves some very concrete, non-techy, just cultural things. Mm. One of the things we've all observed um, in, in, in the news and, and perhaps some of us in person 
is uh, conflicts erupting in public places over something that seems simple, you know, wearing a mask uh, that is perceived by some as being an essential safety measure and by others uh, as being a political statement. Um, and then conflicts erupt in, in places like you know, Walmart and other retailers. And then employees have to deal with those conflicts, either between customers or customer to employee. That's not fair because those employees, they're trained to stock shelves or to tell you, you know, to find that thing on aisle 11. Uh, and it requires, uh, to be able to moderate conflict is, very, is very complex. It requires uh, certain skills um, and emotional intelligence that most people, frankly, don't have. Uh, and they're certainly not getting paid to do that. So, you know, companies that are able to do what it takes from a technology perspective for some of the things I described around zero UI, but also to do the training and cultural change management that needs to be done to get their employees to be able to deal with some of these conflicts that are inevitable, unfortunately. Um, those are some key examples of the ways they'll be able to inspire trust um, and therefore attract consumers who will be making their decisions about who to do business with on that basis. So obviously this is a time like no other. Forrester makes its annual predictions for the coming year in this very wild coming crazy year, what would you like CX professionals to be best prepared for? What are the top two predictions from Forrester that will be most critical to them providing excellent CX for their customers in 2021? I think they all revolve around the key uh, element of trust. And of course, CX professionals have always cared about trust. It's always mattered. But in 2021, it's going to matter more than ever, precisely because of the pandemic and some of the factors that I mentioned earlier uh, that are going to result in consumers flocking to trusted brands for those in-person experiences. And the element that's going to matter most for that is whether those brands are able to do and say what they need to, in particular around uh, dealing with the inevitable conflicts that will erupt uh, and being able to moderate and resolve those, and then making the necessary investments with the appropriate skills to be able to make the most of zero UI technologies to enable safe interactions in public places. Great. Thanks for joining us today, David. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.